Okay, we are going to do a little review this morning. Um, actually, this is kind of a pause because Brian's on vacation, so rather than try and do something totally new, we thought we'd just review spiritual gifts. And I think what we'll do just to get us started, because we I don't know what we actually did, I think we read portions of it, but let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 12. We'll kind of go through the, the text that we use for spiritual gifts, and we'll start with Romans chapter 12. And uh, I don't think I have, anyway, this is going to be called um, Spiritual Gifts, a Summary. So we're going to summarize what we've learned over the last few weeks, a couple weeks ago. Romans chapter 12, let's begin with verse 1, we'll read through verse 8, okay? Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. And I, I think what's important as we read this, I'm reading Paul's text here, and he's speaking to, obviously, in this case, the Christians and Romans, but personalize it. Okay, notice how he starts out, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Well, he's not just speaking back there 2,000 years ago. He's speaking to us now. So take this text personally, okay? Apply it to yourself. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, what we've talked about before is context, so consider what I just read, and then let's go on to verses uh, 3 through 8. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are of one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, excuse me, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So think about that context. He starts out saying, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Then he goes on to describe all these means by which we can serve one another and serve the Lord. All right, let's flip over then to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are all the texts that have to do with spiritual gifts. And again, we want to keep within the context. So we'll start at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Now, and this is important, obviously, forethought here. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, okay, so now he's going to teach us. Concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were, you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And there he goes into the gifts. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, 
distributing to each one individually as he wills. And if you turn over to the latter part of that chapter, let's see, look at verse 27. Now, you're all, now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. And you can read the rest if you like, but let's flip over to flip, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, again, these are all the texts that speak of spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4, and we'll look at verse 11. Very short passage here by Paul on the gifts and speaking more particularly about those who serve uh, in ministry uh, within the church. Verse 11, Ephesians 4, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we'll stop there. And then one last one, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And we'll look at verses 9 through 11. 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11. Verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter gives a nice summary there of the use of the gifts. He doesn't really list them in all the different ones that Paul does, but he basically says there's two kinds of gifts. There's speaking and there's serving. Use them for the glory of God, okay, and serve the church. So that's the overall text that we've looked at before. And although we finished up, obviously, that study a couple weeks ago, we as the elders thought it would be good to kind of go over a little review. I don't know if some of you may or may not still have this little uh, handout, Gifts for the Benefit of Christ's Body. If you do, uh, hang on to it, uh, stick it on your refrigerator, hang it on your rearview mirror, whatever, whatever you want to do to remind you of these gifts. But uh, I think that it might help you. In fact, let me give, anybody else doesn't have one that would like one? Okay, let me get one to uh, Vicki there and also to you, Victoria. Vicki and Victoria. This is Victoria. This is Vicki. Okay. Nice to meet you. <laughs> <coughs> And as you can see on there, it has, uh, again, don't be scared, Vicky, by all the Greek words there, but that's just to give an idea that a lot of the words we use or we read in our Bibles are based on Greek words that have multiple meanings, sometimes very subtle meanings, and so it's important sometimes to look up those Greek words and get a better idea of what Paul or Peter or whoever is writing is trying to say in those texts. So, you may recall from our first lesson that there are two underlying themes in our study. Anybody remember those underlying themes? Think, people, think. The glory of God, okay, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat, drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God, and that includes using a spiritual gift, that includes serving the church in any capacity. We should always be thinking of doing whatever we do to the glory of God. And the second one is, of course, this... 
the sovereignty of God. Second underlying theme is the sovereignty of God. We'll get to those other ones, Daniel. You're touching on them. But uh, the sovereignty of God, because we, as we tried to point out multiple times, the Holy Spirit dispenses spiritual gifts according to the divine purpose of God the Father uh, and according, to, of course, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, not because we deserve them, not because we've earned them, but because he desires to bless his church that we might work together as a body uh, and glorify him and also edify one another, okay? So that's the, one of the major underlying themes is the sovereignty of God. We have to remind ourselves of that because we tend to kind of run ahead of God try and figure things out ourselves, or we argue that we want this gift or we want that gift, we have to back up and say, no, Lord, you dispense the gifts as you desire. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know how you've made us. You know the abilities you've given us. You know the experiences you've given us throughout life. So you know which gifts, when we come to Christ, would be best for us to serve one another and serve the church. So that's how we have to keep that in mind, that God is sovereign in how he gives us those gifts, those abilities. He knows what this church or any church needs at a particular point in time. So he will gift us as members to be a part of that church so that we might effectively minister to one another and be a blessing to one another. So that's an important aspect that we keep in mind. And then we set out the three pillars, okay? Everybody remember what the three pillars were? First one is Humility, okay? Again, we're not in here trying to glorify ourselves. Humility, second one is glory of God, glorifying God. And the third one, as Daniel mentioned, is edifying one another, okay? First, we approach the use of a gift in humility. We're not bragging, boasting, showing off. We're looking to serve, which is a servant is pretty humble, right? The servant doesn't go around bragging. Second, whatever we do, again, going back to 1 Corinthians 10, 31, is whatever we do as a servant... As a humble servant of one another, we do it for God's glory, not our own. And then thirdly, we do it with the sense of edifying or helping one another, doing whatever we can to help one another here to serve God and to live the life that he wants us to live. So those are our three pillars that we talked about. And as we tried to point out, these gifts, again, are not about exalting ourselves. This isn't a case of uh, Christians got gifts, you know, a competition where we all try and see who can outdo each other in some sort of competition. No, it's, it's a it's a serving of God. It's a serving of one another. It's a lifting up each other. It's an edifying of one another. Wherever the Lord leads you to serve him, that's where you use that gift, and you use it in a humble manner for his glory and not your own. And you may recall when we started out with these 20 gifts, and if you look at your list, there is about 20 gifts uh, listed in these passages, primarily in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, of course. They include speaking gifts, serving gifts, and sign gifts. And we narrowed that list down to about 15 uh, gifts that we believe are still active today um, by showing that the gift of the apostles, miracles, uh, healing tongues, and interpretation of tongues were gifts that were unique to the apostolic area of the early church. They were unique because they were necessary to establish the early church as well as to verify Christ's deity. Okay, and we read a couple passages that spoke of that, that in seeing Christ using his, uh, you know, obviously, divine gifts and, and skills and abilities to demonstrate he was the Son of God. Okay? He was given, the, those gifts were used of him to verify that he was the Son of God, as well as the apostles. And some of them, as we know from our, if you read through the book of Acts, were used of God to heal people, to bless and, and use different gifts to help the church establish itself. 
So those gifts are no longer needed because at this point, the foundation of the church has been laid, as we read there in the scriptures. It's been, the church is founded upon uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles and prophets. And uh, we no longer need that verification, I guess you might say, because the canon of scripture is closed. There's no longer any adding to the scriptures. It's, it's done. It's complete. So we don't need these signed gifts to prove that this is a work of God. It already has been proved. Any questions on that? on the elimination of the sign gifts. Okay, I know there's a lot today that people talk about, and of course we have friends in various circles, and some who aren't friends in various circles, who use these sign gifts because they think they, they have an extra word from the Lord. But there is no need for an extra word from the Lord. We have the Bible. God has given it to us. It's complete. Uh, we don't need apostles anymore because they were the foundation of the church. The church has been founded, and they also had certain qualifications that cannot be met today. So that's what... All of our, our, I guess you bring it all together and you say, we don't need these gifts any longer, but we have 15 more that we can look at. Before we do that, uh, before we get into the description of those 15 gifts, we know that there's only, not only was there a diversity of gifts, which if you'll see, I don't know if I have it on this sheet, I don't think it does, but we did write it up there, which are called charismata, okay, that's the Greek word is charismata, literally means a gift, okay. Uh, that's, there's a diversity of gifts, and there's also a variety of ministries, uh, diaconia. That's the word you can see there in verse, I think it's number nine down here in our numbers, diaconia, which means a servant. So there's, there's a variety of, of abilities given, and there's a variety of ministries where we can use our gifts, as well as different effects, and that word in the Greek is energomati which means, and you can see from those words, diaconia, which is what we get our word deacon from, and energomati, which is a base for energy, is where you use it, various places where you can use the gifts, various effects you have uh, with those gifts that come about from using them. We read Peter's admonition. We just read Peter's admonition in 1 Peter 4.10 that said, as each one has received, there again, sovereignty of God, each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That kind of sums it up. You have a gift, use it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In fact, in that verse, we really see the sovereignty of God, our responsibility as stewards of God's gift, and the ministry or use of those gifts to edify the body. We're reminded by Eric Wright in his book here, which uh, we will have in the library, by the way. I think we'll get this. I don't think we have it written yet, but Kathy and I will have this put in the library, which you can go and check out any time and, and read through it if you'd like some additional information. It's very thorough. He has a great summary in the back of each of the gifts, uh, which will help you with that. But in his book, uh, he mentioned that our purpose in coming to church is twofold. Okay? We come not only to have our own spiritual needs met, but we do our bit to see other saints' needs met by exercising our spiritual gifts. So when you come to church, certainly you should come, first of all, with a humble heart, with a desire to see God tell you, teach you, speak to you, mold you, shape you by his spirit to be what he wants you to be. But you should come also with an interest in edifying and encouraging one another. Whatever gift you have, you should desire to use it to bless your fellow believers. That could be something you know, very subtle. In fact, I think it comes. you come with an attitude of service. You're looking for opportunities. You don't necessarily plan ahead and say, I'm going to do this because, you know, this is my thing. No, you come with a, with a heart's attitude saying, Lord, I want to be of service to the church. I want to help my believers in Christ. 
And so you come with that attitude and you let the Lord kind of open the door and show you where he wants you to serve. It could be you come to church and you see something out of place. You see something that needs touching up. You see something that needs to be dealt with. And you can say, well, I can do that, you know, and you go ahead and do it. Or you maybe ask for help in doing it. You make the deacons aware of something that needs to be done. But it's an attitude of coming that I'm just not coming for myself. I'm coming for everyone here that I might be a blessing to them and a help to them an encouragement to them that we all might grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it's a servant's attitude that we come with, looking for opportunities and prayerfully considering how can I help the church today. And maybe there's nothing particular on one Sunday or another or Wednesday night, but there may be, if you have your eyes open spiritually as well as physically, to see what opportunities are there that I can serve. How can I help? Or maybe I can ask the deacons or I can ask the elders, I have a burden to help in a certain area, but I'm not sure how do I start. Can you help me in this area? And we can give you some, some things to do or give you some advice on how to start. Okay, So that's the attitude we want to have, not just coming for ourselves. We do need to be fed spiritually. We should come hungering and thirsting after the truth of God's word. But we also should come with an attitude of how can I bless my fellow saints here? And it may be ahead of time. You may know that, or when you come, you hear a prayer request, for instance, on Wednesday night, you may think, well, so-and-so is not feeling well, or they're just having a rough time, and maybe I can send them a card. Maybe I can call them. Maybe I can take them a meal. Maybe I can just go visit them, share a cup of coffee with them, and just chat and give them that companionship that they need, that encouragement that they need. Maybe share a portion of Scripture that really has blessed you. You see the attitude we should have, that sense of giving to one another, of, of looking beyond ourselves and not being afraid to step out and say, what can I do to help someone else, as well as, hopefully, ourselves growing in, in knowledge of the Lord and of being able to serve him better. So that's the attitude we want to have as we go forward. In fact, as we mentioned there, as Paul, we read the text in Romans chapter 12, after listing all the gifts, he goes on, Paul goes on to emphasize caring for and serving one another. And then he lists things. He says, by showing mercy, by giving, by helping, being like-minded, all those things. And again, some of those are the basis of gifts. Some of them Obviously, all those things he lists are things we all should be doing as believers, not just one person doing this, one person doing that. We all should have those desires to be merciful, to be giving, to be helping. But as we'll see, some people are going to be gifted in a way that they kind of exceed in those gifts. They have a special measure of grace to fulfill those gifts more so than the rest of us. So our goal in using our gifts is to be a need meter. We mentioned that kind of funny word, but a need meter uh, in which we almost, and this is, I think, would be key here. Not that we go around, you know, checking our, our ability to do this and that or, or, you know, kind of boasting in our gifts. But we go about almost unconsciously as a Christian serving the Lord and serving one another. We do it almost automatically because we're yielding to the Lord. We're praying. We're seeking his face. We're asking the Holy Spirit to guide us in the use of our gift. But, so it becomes almost an automatic, unconscious using your gift. You don't have to have somebody telling you you're using it. You don't have to check off the box that I used my gift today. But you do it because you love the Lord, because you love his people. And so you do it almost automatically. It becomes a natural thing for you to do because that's what God has gifted you to do. And you don't, you don't get in the way of it. You don't try and overthink it. You just do it. And that's an important thing uh, to have as an attitude. We recommended uh, much, spending much time in prayer, asking for God's wish, wisdom, submitting to the lordship of Christ in our daily life. And obeying his commands as preparatory work on our journey to discover our spiritual gifts. If you can't obey the scriptures 
if you can't live according to the word of God, then how do you expect to use a gift? I mean, really, if you're, if you're fighting against God's commands and his, his teaching on how to live your life as a Christian, then how do you expect to use a gift to glorify him and to edify one another? So there's that yielding to the lordship of Christ and what he wants you to do. And remember that spiritual gifts are really what we'd call a unique endowment. They're unique. They enable us to meet needs. They enable us to glorify God. And they're not something to brag about or boast about. So we should consider those things that move our hearts. As God speaks to us, as we go about through our life, things that really burden us, that make us more, maybe more attuned to the needs of others all around us. We look for places. That's a key word, looking. Again, not coming to church, totally indifferent, just thinking about what am I going to get out of it. But we come to church looking for opportunities to serve the Lord, looking at people around us, talking to them, having fellowship, and getting a sense of, oh, here's some needs that maybe I could meet you know, as, as God leads me to do that. So we look for places of service within your local church. And we don't, we're not afraid to ask for counsel. We ask the elders. Uh, ask, in fact, not only the elders, but you have close friends you've spent a lot of time with. Uh, you've known for years, and they maybe have observed in your life certain abilities you have that they don't have. And well, you might have family members that say, you know, you're always caring. You're always doing this and that. Those kind of advice and counsel can help you to figure out how can I be used of God. You may not even be aware of your gift, but other people might observe it. And as you ask and kind of you know, inquire about you know, what do you know about my life, those people who are closest to you can say, yeah, you, you seem to have this gift, or you should pursue that avenue of gifted. Okay? So let's get into a description of the gifts. Uh, speaking and serving gifts uh, are listed on your handout there. Um, and uh, if you have any questions as we go through, I'm just going to do a brief um, summary of them. And if you have a question, we'll, we'll have that opportunity to do that. Each glyph, I'll quote the definition that I have, and then we'll stop for, make a few comments, and then you can ask if you wish. Okay, so we'll go with the speaking gifts first. And you can see them on your list there, the speaking gifts. Obviously, apostles, we're not going to deal with that because that's gone. Prophets or prophecy. Here's the definition we used in our, in our study. We can define prophecy in its continuing form as that spiritual ability to communicate biblical truth in powerful and relevant ways so that people sense a word from God directed to them in their situation. It is spirit-filled preaching that may include instruction, encouragement, exhortation, or comfort. Okay? Now, as I mentioned when we studied this gift, this isn't what we call an Old Testament prophet, you know, in the sense that he's foretelling things that are going to come, or he's, he's pronouncing God's judgment if you don't repent. That's different. That's gone. That's no longer needed because the canon of Scripture is closed. But we're talking about someone who has this ability to take the Scriptures and teach them or preach them in such a way that he brings out nuances and things that perhaps we didn't see, we weren't really aware of. He's given that ability to kind of bring out these truths and, and point, them, point us to those truths and bless us. Uh, the canon of Scripture being closed, we're, this, we're not looking for a new revelation. So anybody who tells you he's a prophet today and has a revelation from God or a new word from God is lying. He's not, he's not of God. He's not a true prophet from the Scripture's point of view. In fact, <clears throat> the continuing gift of prophecy, as Calvin taught us, is, quote, the science of interpreting Scriptures so that a prophet is an interpreter of the will of God. And obviously this gift is confined primarily to men and to preachers or teachers. Any questions about the gift of prophecy today? Okay, moving right along. <clears throat> Pastors, as you'll see from your list, technically 
the Greek word, which is poimen, translated pastor in most of our Bibles, literally means a shepherd. Okay? So rather than talking about the position of a pastor, as we would think of, it's speaking here of the gift. The gift is the gift of shepherding. And you can get a picture of a shepherd. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd cares for the sheep, right? A shepherd leads them to water, leads them to food. A shepherd uh, cares for those who are sick. The shepherd picks those, those sheep up that maybe are tired and carries them, okay? A shepherd does a lot of things to care for the sheep. That's what this gift of shepherding is all about. Uh, <clears throat> let me read you a definition. Those with the gift of shepherding manifest a spiritual sensitivity that leads them to draw near to others, to understand their concerns and needs, to protect them from danger, and to suggest steps to take to develop big, vigorous spiritual health. Let me read that again. Those with the gift of shepherding manifest a spiritual sensitivity that leads them to draw near to others, to understand their concerns and needs, to protect them from danger, and to suggest steps to take to develop vigorous spiritual help. So you can see this gift can apply what we, to what we call pastors or elders, obviously, because they're caring for their sheep. But it also could apply to a teacher or even, in a general sense, to parents, right? Because parents should be shepherding their children, should be caring for them, uh, should be guiding them and protecting them, okay? So we can see that as well. Therefore, in this particular gift, men or women could have this gift, though for a woman it would not lead, obviously, to a leadership position in the church, but it could be used within other ministries, okay? So shepherding is what this gift is all about. The, the term is, is only translated once, I think I mentioned that, in the scriptures as pastor, Otherwise, it's, it's translated as shepherd or shepherding. So the idea is one who is uh, caring for sheep, has a spiritual sensitivity to the needs of others, uh, easily sees where there's an issue, and desires to help in that issue. Okay? Any questions about shepherding? Yes, sir. So is someone who, this, is, this may be tied to this and maybe more to the prophets, but are... Would someone who is a prophet also more likely serve in an elder role? Or is that somebody like... Right. I'm not sure what the context would be of somebody who would have the gift of prophecy in this sense and not be... Well, it could be a pastor. It could be a theologian in college, okay? Someone of that type of nature. Someone who's a, a teacher, a profound teacher of God's word. More likely, that'd be the case. Someone with a, someone in an authority position, either within the church or within a denomination or something like that. Uh, we can think of many authors. You know, I think when I we did this particular study, I thought of people like Martin Lloyd Jones, uh, even Vody Bauckham, other people like that that have a gift of being able to really expound the scriptures in a in a way that just brings the truth to light and makes it more understandable for you. So it doesn't have to be a pastor, but it, more likely you would look for and within a church context, you look for a pastor or elder. Yeah, okay. Good question. Good question. Okay, any other questions? Okay, the next one is teachers, which is, you know, pretty obvious. We can, let me read the definition for teachers, though. We could define the gift of teaching as that spirit-endowed ability to instruct others in the Word of God in such a way that God produces present and lasting changes in their understanding, attitude, will, and behavior. I like what Eric Wright wrote uh, this comment about it. He said, to teach is to inform, to instruct, to lead on, to make disciples, discipline the wayward will, unite the disparate concepts, prove and initiate into un unknown mysteries. 
I don't think I can add anything to that definition. So a teacher is someone who is gifted with that ability to bring out the word of God like a pastor, like a shepherd would be. In fact, more likely, some of these first three or four gifts, these speaking gifts, are gifts that can be combined, obviously, within an elder or pastor's position. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, when we get to administrators. But this is something that, obviously, you would hope an elder or a pastor would have these multiple gifts, this ability to both... um, preach the truth, and also teach the truth, and do it in such a way that it's, people can understand it clearly and make it simpler for them to understand. Okay, so teachers should be pretty obvious in that. Again, we mentioned before, you may have been a teacher in your other aspect of your life. It doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be, a, you'll be given the gift of teaching, although obviously God leads us through our life and brings us through experiences which would be preparing us for these gifts when we come to faith in Christ. Um, but there's not, a, there's not a necessity there. The fact that you're a teacher in a secular sense doesn't mean you're going to be given the gift of teaching. Okay? Any questions? Any other questions along that line? Okay, let's look next at evangelists. Here's a definition for evangelist or evangelism. Okay? Evangelism is that spirit-produced concern for lost men and women that moves the gifted person towards outreach wherever they may lead. This concern is combined with the spiritual ability to so proclaim the gospel, either in personal or corporate witness, that lost men and women respond in faith and repentance. We know that like Philip in the book of Acts, remember, uh, who is the only one in the scripture that's called an evangelist, by the way, uh, this gift may develop and appear later in life. Initially, Philip was a deacon, okay? He served the church as a deacon. But then we find later on in Acts, when Paul visits him, he's called Philip the evangelist. So obviously, he had multiple gifts there. He was both a minister or a deacon, a servant, and he also became what was known as an evangelist. Uh, it's normally thought that this gift, of course, is used outside the church. We think of people like uh, Billy Graham and others uh, that were great you know, evangelists in that sense. But it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Uh, we may, although we're all exhorted in the scriptures to be witnesses, right? We're all supposed to spread the gospel. We're all supposed to go into all the world and spread the gospel. Evangelism is not inviting people to church. That's not what evangelism is. You go out and invite people to church. No, evangelism is sharing the gospel with them with the assurance that the Holy Spirit will quicken them, bring them to faith in Christ, and they will come to church because God has saved them, okay? Uh, or is drawing them to himself. Those with this gift usually have what we call a winsome personality that makes it easy for them to approach people and for people to be willing to listen to them. So there's that sense in which a person with this gift is just kind of a very open person, someone very warm, personable, that people love to talk to and are willing to listen to. Okay? That's what the gift of evangelism would be. Again, a lot of these gifts are things that we should have within our lives as, as uh, believers, and, uh, part of our life as believers, but... In this particular case, this is someone who has an unusual gift of being able to reach people in a, in a way that just seems to be very warm and inviting, and people listen, okay? And obviously God saves whom he will by his Spirit. It's not the evangelist, but the Holy Spirit that brings them to repentance, but the evangelist is the person who has that ability to reach people, and people are willing to listen to him. Okay, any questions about that? So you can have an evangel- a person with the gift of evangelism can be within the church, within a local church, and can use that gift to reach people who come to the church to visit and don't know Christ. But more likely, they're a person who has connections outside the church and who loves to go out and talk to people and tell them of Christ. And of course, eventually, hopefully, those people would come to church. But the goal is an evangelist, not to invite a bunch of people to church with the hope that the pastor will somehow reach them. Okay? 
Any questions there at all? Okay, let's go on to what we'll call the gifts of exhorting or encouragement. See on your list there, it's number six. It's the word parakleo, which means to call near, to invite, to invoke by imploration, to beseech, or to entreat. Let me read you the definition that we gave here in our teaching. The gift of exhorting or encouragement is that spiritual endowment that enables some men and women to instinctively sense when others need encouragement and that moves them to come alongside with a word of comfort, courage, hope, or rebuke, all with a view to inspiring spiritual progress and health. So that word, as you can see, parakleo, should bring to mind uh, one of the names of the Holy Spirit, which is comforter. That's what that word means, okay? You're a comforter, a parakleo, and that's what you are when you're a person of encouragement, uh, it's used, uh, it involves using the word of God, we're told in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, to comfort and console fellow believers, or if necessary, to exhort them to flee from sinful desires and to serve the Lord. And obviously this gift can be given to men and women. Uh, you remember Barnabas, okay, in Acts chapter 4, I think it is, uh, in Acts chapter 4, who was called what? He was called the son of encouragement. And he was a great help to the Apostle Paul. So he had that attitude of encouraging people. So you can see, again, this is someone who uh, has that instinctive desire to help someone. They hear of a situation within the church, someone's sick, someone's going through trials, and rather just saying, uh, Lord bless you, you know, hope you, hope you get better. No, they come, in, they come alongside that person. They put their arm around them. They look for ways to help them, to encourage them. Again, maybe visit with them, um, take them a meal, whatever. There's that extra step that the person with the gift of encouragement takes, uh, not just the general, you know, I'm praying for you or hope things get better or, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can. But there's that extra step that the person with the gift of encouragement takes that is that warm personality. You can, I guess you say that the people are, are that type of personality that just seem to be always there to comfort people in need and willing to do that extra step. Okay, that's the gift of exhorting and encouragement. The difference, in, of course, in encouragement is, is helping those who are in need. The gift of exhorting is encouraging or exhorting people who are maybe drifting away from the faith. And so you exhort them to come back and follow the scriptures. Okay? Any questions about that gift? Okay, moving right along. Look at, we'll look at the last two gifts, what we call speaking gifts, and we'll kind of combine them. And that's the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. you see there in your text number eight and number 10, and the Greek words that come with them. If you recall, we kind of combined our study of these two gifts because they're very closely related. Let me read you the definition that was given. The gift of knowledge is that spirit-endowed ability to search and systematize the scriptures into a progression of logical categories. Okay? Someone who has a gift of knowledge is able to study the scriptures and is able to sift it out and present it in a very logical and progressive and progression of logical categories. The gift of wisdom is the spiritual ability to apply comprehensive knowledge of the scriptures to issues of practical living and problem solving while ensuring that God receives the due priority. In other words, it's not done to brag or boast or look good. It's to give God the glory by presenting uh, logical things from, and, and progress, I'm sorry, logical truths from scripture that apply to a particular situation, Okay. Uh, so these gifts would probably more likely be found in preachers or teachers. It would enable them to communicate scriptural principles to people so people could understand them and the ability to apply those principles to our everyday lives. I think we noted the teaching of these uh, the Psalms and Proverbs that tell us what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge 
That's in Proverbs, and also the beginning of wisdom. I think that's in Psalm 116. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So obviously those who have this gift have a reverential fear of God and are given that ability to take the scriptures, find principles, apply them to people's lives. Okay? Any question about that? Word of wisdom, word of knowledge? Again, more likely preachers, teachers would have that. All right, moving right along. Love all the questions. Speak right out, okay? All right, we'll go to serving gifts. Serving gifts. And the first one we looked at, which is, it's not the first in your list here. It's kind of down near the bottom, but just happened to be in sequence. Remember, we looked through Romans uh, chapter 12 first, found the four serving gifts there, and then we looked at 1 Corinthians 12 and found the four serving gifts there. So the first one we happened to find in Romans chapter 12 was serving or ministry. Okay, that's the actual word there. And you can see that number nine, it's the Greek word, again, diakonia, which means attendance or servant or aid or service or minister. Here's the definition we gave. The gift of serving or ministry is characterized by a readiness, and this is important. Again, we kind of spoke of this, a readiness to serve the body of Christ wherever there's a need and the ability to notice when things need to be done and then the humble attitude in getting it done. It's taken again from that word diaconia, which can mean attendance, as we said, or service or minister, is the root word for our English word deacon, obviously. So although people with this gift do not necessarily have to have a call to deacons, okay, to be a deacon, it could be, more likely they would, a deacon would have this gift, but we're all called to serve one another, aren't we? We're all called to reach out and help each other. But people with this gift have a particular desire to step up and get things done rather than wait to be asked or necessarily to have an official office in the church. Okay, So again, these are people with a passion to serve, a passion to do things to help the church, not necessarily in a ministerial kind of way in that when we think of a minister as far as teaching and preaching, but in a practical way as far as a deacon would do. Okay, So more likely a deacon would have this gift of serving uh, or ministry, but it could be other individuals too that just have a heart to, to do things. They don't have to be in an official position. They just have a desire to work. And again, you can see how... A lot of these gifts are related. Helps, uh, we're going to look at that, serving. Uh, there, there's a lot of words, that, uh, gifts that are kind of related in certain ways. But that's, again, the Holy Spirit gives them according to his will. Maybe combine some to make that person more, more useful in certain ways that others wouldn't be. Okay, any questions about that? Moving on to giving then. Okay, and here's the definition for giving. Whether found in the rich or poor, the gift of giving is that spirit-endowed ability to view financial or material resources as a trust from God and to handle them according to wise principles of stewardship in order to have the wherewithal to respond to need with humility and liberality. Again, we're all called to give, aren't we? We're all called to give to the church, to give to others and to minister uh, to others in that way. But this person who has this gift usually has a generous heart that leads them to not only give financially, but to give of themselves, to give of themselves. They're sensitive to the material needs of others. Uh, They're wise stewards of the resources that God has given them. And one doesn't have to be rich in material goods to have this gift. What's the classic example from scriptures? Jesus is, is there in the temple. He's observing things going on. What's the classic example of someone giving who didn't have a lot of money? The widow, right? The, the, the widow there who gave, he says you, she gave of all that she had, whereas the Pharisee standing there was you know, bragging about how much he was giving. 
was nothing compared to what she was giving, which was her all. Okay, so there's that, that, that woman probably had the gift of giving, obviously. She had a heart to give to God, to give to the work of God, to give to, in that case, to the temple. And uh, that's an example of someone who had the gift of giving. And that's what we should have as a giver is a, a heart of compassion, of need. Again, being observant of the needs of others and having a heart to say, I'm not going to wait for someone else to give them. I'm going to give to them. Okay, I'm going to do it because I feel a desire to do that. God's leading me to do that. So it's a compassionate heart. Okay, the next is ruling or leading. <clears throat> ruling or leading. And I think that I mentioned at the time that Eric Wright believes ruling or leadership and the gift of administration are the same. And his definition that I'll read here will show it. But I believe they are different uh, based upon the Greek words that Paul used. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So here's Eric's definition of the gift of ruling or leading. He says, leadership or administration is a spirit-endowed ability to serve the Lord and his people by, having a, by taking a vision of what should be, evaluating the present situation, planning what to do, motivating, organizing, and directing until a plan is brought to completion. Let me read that again. Leadership or administration is a spirit-endowed ability to serve the Lord and his people by taking a vision of what it should be, evaluating the present situation, planning what to do, motivating, organizing, and directing until a plan is brought to completion. The Greek word that Paul uses here for this gift is proestemi, which can mean to stand before, to preside, or to rule over. And as uh, Eric said in his book, Biblical leadership bends all efforts to the concerns of God. A true biblical leader will bend all efforts to the glory of God and to the concerns of God. He won't bend them all to personal desires or what the popular opinion is. No, he'll bend everything to the concerns and will of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Christian leadership involves a genuine concern for others, doesn't it? A genuine concern for others. It's a gift most likely found in elders, but not exclusively. And if used properly... It should be accompanied by one of our pillars, humility, right? Because it's easy for someone with that ability to lead to suddenly think higher of himself than others, to look down on people, and to think that he's better than them. So this gift should give you a desire to lead God's people in conformity to his will, not your will, and to live and walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So there's a key element of this gift is that we need to make sure that if we have this gift, that it doesn't go to our head and make us think like we're better than everyone or we're lording ourselves over one. Rather, it should be a gift exercised with humility, with a love for those whom he's given us to serve. Okay? Any questions about that? We'll talk about the administration in just a minute, one of the last gifts, in fact. But that's, that's the idea here of leadership, someone who has that vision of what should be done, evaluating the situation, and then planning, motiva- motivating, and organizing until that goal is accomplished. Okay? Next one is the gift of mercy. Again, here's a gift that we all should have as believers. We all should be merciful. But let me give you the definition that we had. We can define the gift of mercy as that spirit-induced compassion for those in misery or distress that overflows in an abundance of cheerful and practical help for those who are poor, sick, lonely, bereft, or unfortunate. You can see where the gift of mercy is very similar to some of our other gifts that we had here uh, as far as encouragement. This is more of someone looking for people who are in dire straits, okay, who have uh, great difficulties and trials. Um, Again, a biblical principle we all should manifest. But with this gift, uh, those with this gift, like Dorcas in Acts chapter 9 or Tabitha, what did she do? 
Did she just go around saying, Lord bless you, have a wonderful day? She did what? She actually made clothing for widows, okay? She went out and did things to help people. She had a compassionate heart helping widows, those in need, with material goods, okay? So that's the act of mercy is not just, you know, saying God bless you, but having that compassionate heart that actually looks for people who are in dire straits, who have great needs, and then compassionately, not just giving something to them, but actually getting alongside of them, helping them, encouraging them, as well as perhaps financially or physically helping them in some way. It's also a gift, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, accompanied by cheerfulness, which is a key, really, isn't it, to helping people who are discouraged, who are facing trials, who find little joy in their current circumstances. Uh, it's good to be merciful and help them, but it's also, if you have a cheerful personality, it helps to lift them up, helps them to set their minds on things above, not get caught up in the dreariness of their particular situation. But it's a compassionate attitude, a compassionate gift that desires to encourage people to look beyond their trials that they have. Okay, so that's the gift of mercy. Any questions about that? Okay, just a couple more here before we're done. The next one is faith. Again, we've all trusted in Christ by faith. Yes, you have a question. Sorry. Oh, yes, question. Yes, right, you're blending in with the wall. Certainly, yep, yep. So, I don't know, is there anything, saying you sort of discover those in the same way? Because I'm still, I got in in my mind the the different perspective of looking at gifts that Bill Gibson used. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah, in fact, for example, as we noticed in Peter, notice how Peter doesn't get into this big list. Peter just says you have the gift of serving, okay, or you have the gift of leading. And within, but Paul takes him, breaks him down into categories, basically, what he's doing. So many of us, of course, would have the gifts as just a general, you know, member of a church, not someone in a leadership position, would have, could have multiple gifts that bless and serve one another in different ways. Whereas leaders would probably have some of these other gifts that we spoke of, speaking gifts in particular, but they could have some of these gifts here as well when it comes to uh, ruling or, 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 I'm sorry, giving in other ways. There can be a generous heart there. So, yeah, that's, a lot of these gifts are very closely aligned. That's why, as um, I think some people seem to think or want to think that you only have one gift. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Neither Paul nor Peter is saying that you only have one gift. No, you can have multiple gifts, and they can be combined in ways that enable you to minister to different people in different situations. And as we mentioned there with Philip, for instance, Philip started out being a deacon or a servant, 
and, and ultimately he became an evangelist. So obviously those two gifts were there when he came to faith in Christ. The gifts were given to him, but at later stages of his life, he's manifesting that gift. In fact, as I think Eric Wright points out in his book, it may depend on where you are in a particular church. You know, Maybe when you first come to church, you're a new believer, and you may have a, a gift that can be used in a certain way, but as you grow and mature in faith, you find certain areas of service that seem to be God's leading you into, and you manifest a different gift. Or you may move to a different church, and in a different church, they may already have certain people that are gifted in one way that you have, but maybe your second gift or your third gift, whatever it is, is needed in that church. So now all of a sudden, rather than what you were doing in our church, you moved somewhere else and you have one of the other gifts being manifested because it's needed in that church. And that's what he brings out. It's really there's a need, and as God puts a church together, okay, brings people together in a church, he has all the different gifts he's given to them. He's not up there going, gee, I wonder how this is going to work out. No, he's sovereignly directing people to a church in which you can manifest your gifts in that church. And some, again, may be immediate when you first get there. Others may be over time, over years, and suddenly you're using different gifts. So God's, again, orchestrating this coming together of a body in which all the gifts are being manifested, hopefully, if everyone's using their gifts as they should and seeking to use them as they should. So God's bringing them all together, and he's given each one, one or two, three, whatever gifts he wants to give, so that that church will be blessed by that person as they live their life over the years, okay? So yeah, there's, there's a, a similarity amongst many of these gifts, but there are also little subtle differences too that we can see. That's why we've broken them down here, and as, as Eric has broken them down, to show that there are a little bit of differences that isn't just one gift, is you're either a server or you're a, a speaker, but there is little subtle differences within those serving gifts. Okay, good question. Anybody else? Okay, we just got a couple more to finish up here. We'll go with... Um, well, the gift of faith, okay, I mentioned that. Again, we all have faith, right? We're all given faith to believe, uh, but we're all to live by faith, not by sight, as we're told in the Scripture. But this gift of faith that they're talking about here is manifest in believers who have a supreme confidence in God so they can push back barriers and serve him and advance his kingdom where other people would say, I don't know if I could do that or not. It's just, you know, it looks tough. Let me read you the definition that Eric Wright gave. He said, we could define this gift of faith as an endowment of the Spirit that produces a deep dissatisfaction with the present conditions, glimpses a vision of what God can do, faces seemingly insurmountable obstacles, and yet feels a deep assurance that God will work. I think that's key. A person with this gift of faith can see, like we see, difficult circumstances, and we might say, well, I guess we can't do that. He'll see the fact that, no, God's above that, has have the ability to do to handle that, and so by faith, they'll step out and they'll do what needs to be done. In fact, I think um, faith involves, of course, a life of prayer, because we have to pray and by faith believe that God will answer our prayers. I like what Eric Wright said about this gift. He said, opportunities disguised as impossibilities capture the vision of those with the gift of faith. Let me read that again. Opportunities disguised as impossibilities capture the vision of those with the gift of faith. Again, we might all see an opportunity and we might think, oh, that's impossible. We can't do that. But the person with the gift of faith will look beyond that difficulty, will look beyond what we think is the impossibility, and will believe that God can actually conquer that impossibility and do what needs to be done. So that's what a person with a gift of faith would have. Okay, last two here as we finish up. Discerning of spirits. 
Let me read the definition. Discernment is that spiritual endowed ability to discriminate between truth and error in teaching and between good and evil behavior. And in some cases, it involves recognizing demonic influences in individuals or in groups. Okay, let me read that again. Discernment is that spirit endowed ability to discriminate between truth and error in teaching, between good and evil behavior. In some cases, it involves recognizing demonic influence in individuals or in groups. And we see that, of course, in Scripture, especially in Christ interacting with, with people that were demonically uh, affected, and even Paul as well. Someone with this gift can see through the disguise of someone who, who is under the influence of Satan, but appears to be an angel of light, someone who comes across as an angel of light, nice, sweet. But a person with a, this gift of discernment can see through that masquerade, you might say, and recognize that there's something wrong with that person, that what they're saying is not really a reflection of who they are, A believer with this gift will be able to identify false teachers and deceiving spirits. And obviously, this is probably a key gift for pastors or elders who would be able to protect their flocks, right, as shepherds. Uh, But other believers who aren't in a position of authority may have this gift as well. Just being able to, in communicating with people, be able to discern whether that person is genuine or false, or they're hiding something, or they're they're being led by an evil spirit to do something. So that's an important gift. Again, important gift for leaders because they're supposed to protect their flock from wolves that might come in uh, dressed in sheep's clothing and deceive the flock. Any questions about that? Okay, one more, which is the gift of helps. Kind of an unusual name, helps. Let me read the definition. The gift of helps is a spirit-produced helpfulness characterized by the readiness to serve wherever there's a need, the ability to notice things that need to be done, the training or talents to meet practical needs, and a humble attitude of happy servanthood. Read that again. The gift of helps is a spirit-produced helpfulness characterized by the readiness to serve wherever there's a need, the ability to notice things that need to be done, the training or talents to meet practical needs, and a humble attitude of happy servanthood. There are some scholars would say that this is the same as the gift of ministry, and it is in some ways, but it's a more particular gift, I guess you might say, Paul uses the different Greek word here, and that's why I mentioned that earlier when we were looking at ruling or leaders. Um, there's a, actually, there's one more gift, administration. But, so this Greek word is antilepsis, and it describes uh, what, what this gift is in a, in a, I guess, unique way. You'd normally find this gift in men and women who seem instinctively to volunteer when there's a practical need. They notice things that many of us overlook. Uh, they, they don't hesitate to take it on, and they step up with no fanfare, and they get the job done. They're what we might call the unsung hero, someone who just does things without anybody noticing sometimes. They do it out of a love and a desire to see uh, things taken care of and so that it wouldn't be a burden. Uh, they see practical needs. They notice things. Uh, they, might, they might look at a task that need to be done, and we might look at it too, and they immediately know what to do. They just have that sense of helping and getting it done. It's a characteristic that all believers should have, <clears throat> Excuse me, but those with this gift uh, like to step forward and, and do it. Okay? They have that sense of doing it, very similar to other gifts. Okay, the last gift, real quick here, we're just about there, administration. As I mentioned above, Eric Wright considers this gift to be the same as a ruler or leader, but again, the Greek word is important here. The Greek word is kubernesis, which means to steer or to pilot or figuratively to direct something. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament, the only time this word is used. And it gives a picture of a pilot of a ship that guides that ship safely through troubled waters or rough seas to a safe haven 
Okay, that's the gift. Thus, a ruler or a leader would be the captain of the ship uh, who inspires the crew, who determines the task or the goal, where we're going to go, what we're supposed to get done. But the pilot is that one who ensures the ship stays on course, doesn't vary, makes plans to either avoid or to handle problems that might hinder the voyage. Okay, so you can see there's a difference. There's the ruler, the captain, who's saying, we're going to go here, and I want you guys to all help me go there. And the pilot's saying, okay, let's make sure we go on the right path. Let's make sure we get there. We don't you know, drift off somewhere. And you can see this in particular uh, would be as, you know, similar gift, I guess, to others. But you can see where this in particular would be beneficial to a church with a plurality of elders, okay? One's a teacher and preacher uh, that, that preaches the word, that challenges people to submit to the word. And the other, could, other elders could be those who are gifted in an administrative way to ensure that the ministry runs smoothly, stays on course biblically, uh, deals with issues so that the other can continue to preach and teach. Not exactly a deacon, but someone with the same authority who can teach as well, but someone who just has that ability to kind of keep things going in the, in the straight and narrow and to make sure that things don't drift away. So that's kind of the gift of administration. So I hope that's helped everyone with these reviews. Again, I would tell you to continue to study and pray and seek God's will. Take home this handout and maybe keep it before you to remind you every now and then that you have a gift. Okay? Don't be afraid to use that gift. Don't be afraid to find that gift and to seek to use it for the glory of God and for the benefit of your fellow believers. Okay, let's pray.